Hello and welcome to Sean White's Solar and Energy Storage Podcast. The topic of today's podcast is EV to home, that's electric vehicle to home, recycling lithium batteries, otherwise known as lithium ion batteries, and 30% efficient PV questions answered. And so this is a series of three questions that we had from different people. And so just a little summary here of these three questions. Number one, EV to home can mean EV to grid and EV to backup. Ford has announced that their F-150 Lightning electric pickup will be released next year and will have the ability to back up a house. What does this mean? Will it be able to work with a PV system and keep the battery charged? Or will it only work as long as the battery is charged? And will it be able to send electricity to the grid? The next question that we're going to talk about is about the lithium ion battery recycling. So now that there are a tremendous amount of lithium ion batteries being manufactured, what will happen at the end of their lives? Fortunately, lithium ion battery materials are not very toxic, unlike lead acid batteries. So just like with solar modules, if we accidentally throw the materials in the trash, it will not be a toxicity issue, just a waste issue. Lithium ion batteries will get recycled and the most important aspect of this is the need for cobalt since much of the cobalt comes from the Congo where child labor is often used for mining cobalt. And the third topic, 30% efficient PV is the average efficiency of PV being installed these days hoovers somewhere under 20% and the super high efficiency that people buy for some rich people's homes can be 22% efficient. It's interesting that for space applications, you can see up to 40% efficient PV, which has to be super efficient. And even the richest guy in the world, Elon Musk, thinks that gallium arsenide PV is expensive for space and has mentioned that he is using some crystalline silicon PV on some satellites. To find out more about gallium arsenide space solar cells, you can check out spectrolab.com and make sure that you have a few million Bitcoin on your credit card <laughs> if you want to buy that super efficient gallium arsenide PV. So to find out more about solar and storage, go to solarsean.com and on with the show. And today, our first question comes from Dennis Gerling. And Dennis says, I was looking through the discussion forum on solarshawn.com and there was a post where you answered a question and you said that homes who produce PV could store their whole house on an EV battery because the EV battery companies are not playing nice and we are not capable of storing our home energy in our electric vehicle yet. What are some of the reasons that these companies wouldn't want this to happen sooner? It seems it would only benefit these companies for more EV batteries being sold and would support the same cause for cleaner energy as PV and EVs provide. Okay, Dennis, here's my answer. For example, I have an 85 kilowatt hour Tesla, which has more energy storage than almost any house that there is. Well, except for rich movie stars houses. In order to charge my car, if I have a PV system, like a regular grid tied PV system, I have to buy a battery to put on my house in order to charge my car. Isn't that silly? It's like I'm driving around with an 85 kilowatt hour battery that I never use fully. And then I have to go get another 13 kilowatt hours to stick on my wall or on the floor. 
just so I could charge my 85 kilowatt hour battery? Kind of ridiculous. I mean, we do have the technology. I mean, it's like those people at Tesla aren't stupid, right? So there must be a reason behind this. And when I bought my car, I bought my Tesla used. Got a great deal on it, by the way. It was a third of the brand new price. Best car I ever drove. And the guy that I bought it from, he used to work at Tesla. And he was kind of sort of high up, I think. And he said that they designed these cars so it was pretty much a software issue where they could eventually someday turn it into a grid feeding or house backuping device. I mean, if you think about it, the car is taking electricity from the grid. So it's going AC to DC. Just flip a few things around and you're going DC to AC. You're an inverter. So why not do that? Is it a conspiracy theory? <laughs> so, you know, where I live, the grid doesn't go down very often, but when it does, it would be nice to have access to that big battery. It seems silly that I have to buy another small battery to charge my big battery in my car. But the way things are, somebody can sell more batteries. It's my theory that very soon, some electric vehicle manufacturer is going to make their cars so they can do house backup and feed the grid. Will that be the Ford F-150 that's coming out next year? I don't know any details on that. I know that it's supposed to be able to back up your house, but I don't know if it's going to be able to feed the grid, but why not? They should be able to do that. And now here's the excuse. The excuse that you hear from these big electric vehicle manufacturers is the warranty is not made for cycling the batteries up and down. But there's an easy solution, and here's a solution. You can keep the warranty for how many miles you drive and what's the age of the battery. And then you can add on something about how many cycles you can use or how many kilowatt hours can pass through the battery. I mean, after all, the amount of time that my grid goes down, it's like a short road trip would power my refrigerator for weeks. It's just not a big deal. It's not a whole lot of cycles on my battery. And yes, there could be somebody that was using it more, but just include that in the warranty. Right now, the way that it is, if I did figure out a way to hack my Tesla battery and they found out about it because they're smart, because they have computers that can tell what's going on, it would void the warranty of my car, which is kind of worth a lot, I think. So we just need a formula, some kind of formula where we can back up our house once in a while. And it's my opinion that this will happen because the electric vehicle industry is growing like crazy. They can't make cars fast enough. They can't make batteries fast enough. And by the time that supply catches up with demand, electric vehicles are gonna be cheaper and more cost-effective than internal combustion engine vehicles. We call those ICE vehicles, internal combustion engine. And so what I think is gonna happen is one company's gonna do it, and then every other company's gonna have to do it to play catch-up. And then every other company's gonna have to do it. And we're gonna have so many electric vehicles on the grid, we are gonna need that energy storage that's in the cars to make the grid run smoothly. By some estimates, when everybody switches to the electric vehicle, we're gonna end up using double the electricity for our houses as we charge those vehicles. And so we're gonna have a lot of solar out there. That's the way that we're gonna make up for it. But we also need some storage. And why not use that storage that's in our cars that's just sitting there? I mean, on an average day, if I had to, I could probably give 50 or 60 kilowatt hours back to the grid and still keep my battery within 
20% and 80%, which is where I like to keep it with my electric vehicle because those lithium ion batteries don't like to get fully charged and they don't like to get fully dead. Like any battery doesn't like to get fully dead. So let's keep on looking out for this. When are the electric vehicles going to be able to work like an energy storage system? The technology's there. We just need the electric vehicle companies, I guess, to have good enough incentive to do this. And I think what it is, is they're just too busy scaling up. Okay, thanks a lot, Dennis Gerling, for that great question. And if you haven't done it already, get an electric vehicle. They are so cool. They're so fast. The acceleration is incredible. And it's also not just acceleration, but it's very low key. Probably get a lot less tickets. When you see somebody else accelerating and they're just trying to barely keep up with you, and they have an ICE vehicle, you can hear their engines revving up and changing gears and it's kind of exciting but with an electric vehicle you can accelerate twice as fast very low key got to get one of those if you don't have it already okay here's another question about batteries again and this question comes from bob brabon hey bob and so here it goes as the demand for battery storage systems grow do you believe that there's enough attention being given to end-of-life issues for these systems I've done a bit of digging, but haven't seen much that suggests recycling of lithium batteries is cost-effective yet. Recycling is still the right thing to do, of course, but it seems like some incentives or mandates are going to be needed in the short term to make sure that they don't wind up in landfills or worse. Are you seeing any consensus building in this area? Thanks. All right, Bob, here's the answer to your question. Fortunately, lithium-ion batteries and I'm saying lithium ion batteries because that's what everybody's using. And if you wanted to be technically correct, lithium batteries are something that might go in your watch or in your car in the future when they figure out how to make them cycle up and down safely many, many times. They are more energy dense, but they're just harder to make safe. So back to my answering the question, we're talking about lithium ion batteries and they are not near as toxic as lead acid batteries. And lithium itself is a very small part of a lithium ion battery. You know what? It's mostly nickel. And do you know that you can get a nickel for five cents? What a deal. Did you know that the metal in a nickel is worth more than five cents? I have heard that one of the best investments is to buy a million dollars worth of nickels and melt them down. And then you're left with two million dollars worth of metal. I actually learned that from a Tony Robbins book, by the way. Anyway, lead acid batteries are very toxic. So they came up with a program with core charges so that people had a really good financial incentive to return the battery for the money for the core charge. And if you've ever changed your own battery, you go to the auto parts store, you get the battery, but then you pay this extra money. It's called a core charge. You go swap your battery and then you bring your old battery back and they give you your core charge back. And so now, if someone drives an electric vehicle, the EV company will recycle the battery and get the materials out of it and make new batteries. And the most valuable part, typically, with most cars, going into the battery is the cobalt. And now lithium, just to tell you how non-toxic it is, it's a drug that's used to treat bipolar disease. And some people take microdoses of lithium in order to prevent dementia. In fact, there might be somebody listening to this podcast right now that's popping a lithium right now. And so I'm not saying not to recycle your lithium ion batteries. I mean, it's a good thing, but I bet a few do end up in the landfill. 
And probably the worst part about this is they have to go out and mine for the materials again, rather than there being a toxicity problem. So they have to go dig holes and actually mining for things. A lot of times takes diesel, you know, trucks, but we got to get those converted to lithium powered ones, right? Lithium powered dump trucks and tractors mining for minerals instead of the big problem with cobalt is most of it comes out of the Congo and they're making kids mine for it. Those kids should be in school learning about lithium and cobalt, right? Hey, maybe you kids are listening right now. Hey kids, sorry you have to be mining for cobalt. I'm going to try to fix that problem. I think I'll just run for president or something. So as with most raw materials, there's a limited supply. And so that's a good reason to recycle. And they do definitely recycle lithium ion batteries. And so typically what's going to happen with an electric vehicle is you're going to take it into a shop and they're going to deal with all that. I mean, I don't plan on taking my Tesla and replacing the battery myself. I'm sure that would void the warranty. And even if I did, and I had all those big heavy lithium ion batteries, I'd try to figure out how to use them for something because even when it reaches its end of life for a car, it still has some juice left in it. And when I say juice, I don't mean that kind with calories. I mean that kind with kilowatt hours. So yeah, recycle. And it's kind of similar to photovoltaic modules, PV modules. As far as something that produces energy, they're very non-toxic. I mean, they're kind of toxic like a sliding glass door. In fact, the cell phone in your pocket is way more toxic than a solar module. And so when these things do get to end of life, we want to recycle them. With solar modules, they kind of last almost forever. So we don't see a lot of them even needing to be recycled. But with the lithium ion batteries, yeah, they'll wear out. And the big majority of them now are in cars or giant energy storage systems. And those things, they're definitely going to get recycled. They even recycle the graphite anode of lithium ion batteries. And graphite, yeah, not very toxic. All right, Bob, thanks for your question. Okay, this next podcast question comes from Matt Potter. And Matt says, will we ever see PV modules that are 30% efficient? Or how would they be able to achieve such high numbers? Okay, you ready for the answer? The answer is, you can go right now to Spectrolab. That's S-P-E-C-T-R-O-L-A-B.com. You can see some 30% efficient solar cells. In fact... They even have one that's 40% efficient, but you have to use concentrated sunlight to get that. And I bet you that those things are so darn expensive that you would have to mortgage your house to get one solar module, perhaps, or sell it. And it depends on how big your house is, but they're so expensive, they won't even tell you. One time I called up Spectralab, tried to figure out about their PV modules, and they said that you need to get government clearance to even find out about their PV modules. So Spectrolab is a division of Boeing. And you know, Boeing, that big aircraft company, and they also make satellite stuff and they do space things. And that's what these Spectrolab cells are for, is for space. So if you ever looked at the International Space Station, that's the ISS, you'd see that those solar cells look a little different. Those big old PV modules that are going around the earth really fast are kind of brown looking. And that's not from low Earth orbit. That's because that's what gallium arsenide looks like. The gallium arsenide solar cells are super expensive. Just super, super expensive. Nobody uses those things on Earth. Too expensive for Earth. 
But when you are sending something into space, it's very expensive to send things into space. So when you send something up there, you want it to work as good as possible. And these gallium arsenide solar cells, they're so expensive that I heard this guy, his name is Elon Musk. You ever heard of him? Well, he was in an interview saying that his SpaceX company was not always using gallium arsenide. He was talking about using crystalline silicon in space because that gallium arsenide is so dang expensive. So if the richest guy in the world is saying something is expensive, I think it's okay to use PV that just takes up a little bit more space on the roof or the ground and does exactly the same thing. It grabs photons and knocks electrons loose, making you some current, making you some PV power and energy. And so you want to hear my guess when we might see 30% efficient PV on a regular basis? 100 years. Okay. Hopefully I'll be around there. Hopefully, we'll figure out the problem called aging, and I'll be around in 100 years. Probably be like running marathons and stuff. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, read David Sinclair's book called Lifespan. I did. So, back to solar and storage. Some people say that the average efficiency of solar goes up about a quarter percent per year. So, to get another 10%, that would take four years per percent or 40 years. But we will reach a limit, though, since it's impossible for anything in the universe to be 100% efficient due to something called physics or thermodynamics. You ever heard of that? And many people say that the theoretical efficiency of PV is perhaps 50%. So yeah, thinking on my feet here, maybe somewhere between 100 years and 40 years from now, we might see some 30% efficient PV. And who's going to make it first? Maybe SunPower, they're known for making efficient PV. Hey, I was just thinking of that because I was teaching solar to a SunPower company today. And I used to work for a SunPower dealer. So just remember, it costs more to have more efficient PV. And so there's going to be some point where it's just not worth it to get more efficient. I know on the NREL chart, the last time that I looked, the world record efficiency for PV is something like 47 point something percent. And I bet you something like that, maybe that costs a million dollars a watt instead of 20 cents a watt. And also when they're breaking these world record efficiency numbers, they're using super concentrated sunlight. So, you know, think of like 500 suns, which is more suns than even Genghis Khan had. Or should I say Genghis Khan? And they're using multi-junction solar cells that captures all these different parts of the spectrum of light. And of course, if you have 500 suns, you need something to cool it off because that would get really hot, hotter than Venus, which is hotter than Mercury, although Venus is farther away from the sun. And that's because Venus has global warming, you know, carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Thanks for listening. And I hope you learned a bit about EV to home, recycling lithium batteries, and 30% efficient PV. And don't forget to stop by solarsean.com.